1: when um i was 18 i was walking back from dinner with a friend and suddenly we'd just been for mexican i think we'd had a couple of drinks you know the, the food wasn't particularly spicy and i don't know what happened but my bowels decided to hate me that day and i actually pooed myself on my way home so i had to walk 20 minutes um the rest of the journey with poo in my pants up in today's episode, comedian and pelvic physiotherapist Elaine Miller talks poo.
2: So big belly, hard belly and then
1: moo. <laughs> Dr. Megan Rossi explains to us how your gut health is related to your
3: bowel movements. In terms of the actual poo that we all do, about 50% of that in dry weight is actually bacteria. Plus we bring you more testimonials from our listeners. The first time you poop after you've given birth is um, quite horrendous, you're wondering if you're gonna give birth again or if you've had an episiotomy, if your stitches are actually gonna pull through or let you down. It's really scary and extremely painful and
4: nobody talks about it, wonder why. (laughs) everyone welcome back today as you heard we are talking about poo i don't know why but out of all of the topics we've done so far this is the one that makes me feel the most giggly
1: yeah i was trying to um explain last week that w- th- about the episode that was coming up and uh rachel couldn't speak when it was her turn because she was laughing so much um <laughs> i think we should also point out that one of the ideas that was floated um, to oh. use um from our producers was that we uh, send off stool samples to be analyzed as part of this podcast and uh we politely but firmly declined um can you imagine going to the post office with uh, poo in a jiffy bag and then sending it off you'd have to weigh it it would be very stressful
4: <laughs> they ask you what you're sending as well <laughs> so you'd have to be like, I'm sending shit.
1: Yeah. Is this valuable? No, I don't think so. Um,
4: but yeah, so we we declined to do that. I guess one of the reasons we turned it down is that there is just such a stigma attached to poo and pooing. I think one of the worst parts about being in a new relationship is the first holiday you go on because you're super excited you're like yes this is going to be great and then you walk into the hotel and you realize the toilet is basically in the bedroom (laughs) and it is just the most horrific moment when you're like stuffing a loo full of toilet roll just to try (laughs) and like deaden the sound of your plops Um, and that's really silly when you think about it and yet We've all done it, I'm sure. I've definitely done it.
1: To be honest, it's not even on holiday. The last place that me and my boyfriend lived, it was a tiny flat and the toilet was just a room off of the living room. And obviously it's like COVID, we're working from home. We literally did not leave that living room unless you went to the toilet or unless you went to sleep. And I was just like, it's just so near. We've been together for years and it's just like... <laughs> Still, such a stressful thing, and it's so silly, but because it's just such a normal thing, but that still kind of like mortifying, isn't it?
4: We're not saying that you need to start pooing in front of your partner in this episode today, because that would be wild. Thank God. (laughs) But we do think we should all stop shying away from talking about it quite so much, because you know, as cliche as it is, knowledge is power, and we all poo. And the real problem with all of this is that if you don't talk about these things and you've got a problem, one, you might not realise you've got a problem, and two, you might not know where to get treatment or you might not even know that there's a treatment out there to help you. And we know that this is disproportionately affecting women as well. So women are more likely to suffer from IBS, they're more likely to experience inflammatory bowel disease. And I do wonder whether one of the things holding a lot of women back from speaking about this and getting help is the idea that, you know, women don't fart, women don't poo, but that's not the case. We do poo, we just don't talk about pooing.
1: Obviously not everyone is as embarrassed as me and Rachel are when it comes to talking about these kind of things. I do have a couple of friends who have girlfriends who have IBS and they talk about it quite openly, Um but yeah, it is really great that um, that there are people who do feel comfortable talking about this stuff because it is, you know, it is just like totally normal. I wonder when it is that we suddenly stop being able to talk about it because I feel like, you know, like kids when they're potty training, they're like so proud when they... <laughs> poo in their potty or whatever but then at some point we start to get really ashamed um and we don't kind of start beckoning everyone over and pointing into the into the loo
4: yeah you're you're right I wonder what it does change and as you say it doesn't change for everyone um I was actually quite surprised at how many women got in touch to tell us about their poo when we put a call out uh, before we recorded this episode. And actually quite a few people got in touch, more so than when we did the money episode last week, which I was a little surprised by. Mm -hmm. But really glad, actually, that there are people out there Mm -hmm. willing to talk about this stuff. And we know that you also love reading about this stuff, don't we? (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. So we know that whenever we publish a story about poo and what's quote normal, that it's really popular with readers and they're some of like the best performing uh, stories of the day. So we know that people are really fascinated by the topic. But interestingly people don't really engage with them. And what I mean by that is people don't like those posts on Facebook, people don't tweet them out and share them socially. So while people cannot get enough of reading about all of this stuff, they're not willing to show other people that they're reading it, if you know what I mean. So for anyone listening to this podcast, you are not alone with your fascination about poo. (laughs) I would... Be very surprised if anyone listening to this podcast would then go and tell their mates that they were listening to a podcast about poo and that they should listen to it.
4: We've basically designed this whole episode to just give the people what they want. Um, So we've got two amazing poo experts coming on the show today. They do a lot more than just poo, but I'm going to call them poo experts. And they're going to talk to us a bit about why we're embarrassed about poo, but also what's going on with our bodies, how we can poo better all of that glorious stuff. And I am really excited to learn more. I'm going to try not to giggle too much, Mm -hmm. but no guarantees at this point. You're listening to
1: Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Use the hashtag AIMYU to join the conversation on social media.
2: I found that my bowel movements change throughout my monthly cycle. Uh, Right before my
4: period, um, I get really, really constipated. Um, And then during my period, I have the opposite problem. My movements are really, really loose, almost diarrhoea-like. And it happens every month. Um, And I just thought I was a bit of a weirdo. But then I
2: started thinking, maybe I'm not the only one. Um, And it turns out, I only found out very recently, this is completely normal. Um, I just wish I had been told about this when I had the talk, um, because I've spent basically all of my adult life um, thinking that I
0: was a weirdo. Hello, Hello. I'm a
4: physiotherapist,
0: and um, my postgrads in sports medicine, like all physiotherapists. Um, I gave up a career, sped travelling the world, being paid to touch young fit men, <laughs> mainly because I'm an idiot, um, but also because I had three babies who were all blessed with heads, <laughs> and I ruined my undercarriage, <laughs> reduced it to rubble, and a mess. <laughs> See, after that, the science of incontinence and the wonders of the pelvic floor were fascinating to me. (laughs) So I brought you a pelvic floor to look at. Truth be told, I brought two, but you've only seen one.
4: (laughs) Today we're joined by Elaine Miller. Elaine is a pelvic physiotherapist and a comedian. Her hilarious show, Gusset Grippers, is all about incontinence and pelvic floors. In her words, most of her clinic days are spent elbow deep in leaky ladies. Thank you so much for joining us, Elaine. Thanks very much for
1: having me. Your show, Gusset Grippers, is all about incontinence and pelvic floors. How did you come up with the idea?
2: Um, it was a patient, actually. There was a woman that was from Glasgow, so she was fundamentally funny because <laughs> Glaswegians in general are hilarious. And she was <laughs> telling me a story about when she'd wet herself on the, on the doorstep, which was obviously an excruciating situation for anybody to be in, but the way that she told it was just funny. So I asked her if I could use the, the her story for st- straight stand-up, and I wrote a five-minute sketch that I did at the comedy club and afterwards four women came up to me and said me too now they hadn't gone and spoken to their GP and I thought maybe there's something in that so if they won't go to the GP maybe if I made it funny then that addresses the embarrassment factor and I think that there's something in using humour to address the just the shame and stigma if you can make something funny you take away the shame of that as long as the joke's on me or the problem people that leak are very sensitive to being mocked because the population that suffer with these problems are intensely vulnerable to being embarrassed they they live with the threat of humiliation all of the time so if you're trying to make it funny you've got to know what you're doing basically so I seem to have hit
4: upon a a very happy mix of having a strange skill set Tell us a bit about the health issues when it comes to women and poo. So what are some of the most common problems that come up? Well,
2: the number one problem for women is constipation when it comes to poo. Um, About one in seven adults are constipated and of that number, about 60% are female. So the issue with constipation is apart from it hurts, um, that's the most common risk for developing a vaginal prolapse. If you sit in the toilet and strain repeatedly to try and have a bowel movement, then there's a risk that as well as pushing out the poo, you can push out your fanny. So almost everybody that I see in clinic is also constipated. It's a huge issue. Um, Vaginal prolapse is also remarkably common. If you've had two pregnancies and two vaginal deliveries, then you're likely to have some form of laxity from just going through that life experience once you're over 50 you've got 50 percent chance of having a vaginal prolapse oh, wow. it's, that high. it's almost normal to have one as you get older a lot of women have got prolapse and they don't know it because the symptoms are very vague and you, you're not very aware of it vaginas don't have a great nerve supply like for sensation because if you were given birth vaginally, you don't really want to feel that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sort of upsets the men folks a little bit when you say, my fanny's numb, can I you feel you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so because the sensation's not great, you're not that aware of it. So it's important that we tell people that this is a common thing, that you can manage it yourself with pelvic floor exercises and not getting constipated and to seek help if it's becoming bothersome. The other problems are things like faecal incontinence. So about a third of women who have a vaginal delivery will have a birth injury. And if, if you have a tear that extends round to your anus and goes into the sphincter, the sphincter is made up of your pelvic floor muscles. So those women will often be left with a bit of leaking problem and shouldn't be expected to put up with it on their own. Any leaking of poo or pee or farts is abnormal no matter how old you are then if you're having symptoms like that please speak to your GP or come to see a pelvic physio.
4: And can you tell us a bit about your hormonal cycle throughout the month?
2: Yeah because of the change in your hormone levels when your um, progesterone level drops then you are more likely to become constipated and then when the hormone swings round and you're starting to shed the womb lining the hormone that does that that triggers that um, contraction of the uterus also affects your body. So lots of women poo more when they're getting their period. We don't talk about it, but it's almost like clockwork for many women. Um, Menopause is really important time for women's pelvic health because with the loss of estrogen it affects all of the tissues in your pelvis and in your genitals and loss of estrogen in female people means that you lose a bit of muscle bulk as well so the, the power in your pelvic floor will start to reduce if you're not also doing pelvic floor exercises and add to that if you've been pregnant and had a birth injury then as the tissues age and change that of scar tissue can start to become problematic. So constipation is a really big issue. And when we talked to you while
1: researching this episode, you mentioned that how we poo is really important
2: and that most of us are doing it wrong. Um, Could you talk to us about the right way to poo? So pooing is easier in a squatting position than it is sitting like you would do in a toilet and the reason for that is because you've got your anus and then your rectum and it's got a 90 degree angle in it which helps stop poo leaking out so when you go to the toilet the muscle pulls that kink straight. In countries where they have squatting toilets they have fewer problems with prolapse and that sort of thing because they poo much more efficiently that's so interesting it is it's fascinating a lot of people recommend getting a children's kick stool because if you put your feet up on that then your knees are higher than your hips so you're mimicking what a squat is if you don't have a stool then if you just get two toilet rolls and put them in their end and put your feet up on the toilet rolls and it's amazing what a difference mm. it can make to people and um, it's the sort of thing that when you tell them they go all oh, right a bit sceptically and then you'll try it tomorrow and it'll change your life <laughs> it's brilliant
4: <laughs> can't wait
2: <laughs> we'll report back <laughs> Me and Rachel will message each other tomorrow like, did you? No. The other way that people make mistakes when they're trying to poo is they tend to strain on the toilet. So if you've got a poo that's a bit difficult to dislodge, people will hold their breath and kind of grunt. And that's what's linked with prolapse. It's that downward force that pushes vaginas out from where they belong. So there's a really great phrase that we teach people, which is big belly, hard belly and moo to poo. So if you're sitting in the toilet, imagine that you're going to make your tummy big and round like Santa or Shrek. So you let your take a a deep breath in and your tummy will naturally extend out. And then you want to make it hard as if you're bracing, as if somebody's going to punch you in the stomach. So you're making your tummy hard. And then Mm -hmm. instead of closing up the back of your throat and and straining down you want to moo on the way out because if you have an open glottis if you're mooing or or hissing like a snake or sighing like one of my teenagers then you reduce your intra-abdominal pressure so big belly, hard belly and then moo
1: (laughs) (laughs) How loud do you have to moo? Because I'm a bit worried about
4: (laughs) That is amazing. I love that. Um, As well as pooing properly, what are some of the other preventative things that people could be doing to prevent those long term health implications that you've touched on? Um, I would like
2: to see pelvic health taught in schools so that our young people are leaving school knowing what. Normal pooing is normal peeing is normal sexual function. What that is, and that if they do their pelvic floor exercises, it should help all of these things. And then once they get to be in fifty, maybe we wouldn't have half of them have their fannies fall out. You know, the science for that bit is really clear. Um, an awful lot of people take a long, long time to seek help for their leaking and for faecal incontinence. It takes an average of eleven years before the person will go and speak to their GP because it's so shameful so if we could make that bit easier then perhaps they wouldn't put up with it for quite as long because it's miserable for them so talking Mm -hmm. of what is
1: normal um could you tell us what a healthy bowel movement looks like
2: yeah there's a really good thing called the bristol stool chart which is from um, some work that was done where they charted poo and they gave a number out of seven you want to be between a number three and a number five so not too sloppy and not too hard The longer that the poo sits in your colon for, then the more dehydrated it becomes. And that's what constipation is, that the actual substance itself is too hard to be able to pass comfortably. So you want it to be a bit soft, but not liquid. Um, If it looks like a smooth snake, then that's an ideal, perfect poo. Normal is pooing anything between three times a day and three times a week. So the real key to it is knowing what your normal is, because what works for you might not be right for me. You should sit for less than one minute before your bowel opens. If you're having to sit there for half an hour, which a lot of men tend to get into a habit of, it shouldn't hurt to pass the poo. And um, once you've finished the poo, you, you shouldn't have a feeling that there's anything left. There shouldn't be lots of smearing because your anus should shut once the poo has passed so if you've got lots of smearing going on it's a suggestion that you've not actually completed passing the whole jobby which is really common in women because we don't sit for long enough especially women with young children so it's best to do the poo and then if you've got time sit for a bit longer and make sure there's nothing else coming so this is why it's important to know what your normal is because one of the symptoms of bowel disorders or bowel cancer is a change in bowel habit so if you used to go three times a week and you're now going three times a day and there's blood in the bowl, you need to get that followed up with your GP. can be lots and lots of reasons for it. It doesn't need to be anything sinister.
4: And is there a best time of day
2: to poo as well when you're doing all these things? There's a reflex that happens after you fill your stomach within 15 to 20 minutes then your bow will start to work so if you pay attention to that it's called the call to stool and that's the feeling that the toddler's responding to when they drop down into squat they're picking up the sensation mm-hmm. that their body's creating now if there isn't anywhere to go to the toilet then your body will reduce the urge automatically and make you wait to the next time but if you get into the habit of ignoring the urge to poo then all that, that time the poo is still sitting in your colon and it's getting more dehydrated so it gets more difficult to pass because it's harder and I think that's one of the things that contributes to the number of bowel dysfunctions that we see, we've just lost the time to sit and pay attention even with smartphones which people will sit scrolling for a while on the toilet with their smartphone so we need some apps to help encourage people to sit Mm -hmm.
4: cool you should dragon's den that make your fortune like a an app to coach you through pooing
2: (laughs) great idea like a fitbit but what about a Fitbit? I was going to say shit bit, but the, <laughs> <this>. <laughs> yeah.
1: that's so much better. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Okay, right. Jokes aside, it is great to laugh about this kind of stuff because as we were saying earlier, it helps to kind of alleviate some of the stigma. And I think... Just just helps get the conversation going, but the stigma is like a real thing. How does that impact people? Kind of beyond the physical, like in terms of their mental health. Are there in? Is there anything that you see from some of the women that come into your clinic?
2: Yeah, it's enormous impact, and it's really well researched as well. We know that about forty percent of people who have constipation, just constipation, have also got an anxiety disorder. Mm. If you're not confident that your body is going to be able to keep your holes shut when you're out public it impacts on everything that you do and everything that you plan yeah of course um so they did a study in canada just a small bit of work looking at people who had a diagnosis of a terminal illness they weren't actively dying but they were under hospice care and they asked them what do you consider to be a fate worse than death So they had the options of um, uncontrollable pain, not being able to communicate, being in a ventilator, being incontinent. And 73% of them said it was being incontinent, was a fate worse than death, which blows my mind. But Mm. you understand it. So trying to overcome that stigma is really difficult.
4: We know that that stigma can really impact sex lives as well for a lot of women when we're discussing this topic. If you have got poo problems, what are some of the options out there that can help you stay sexually active or maybe just take the worry out of it a little bit?
2: So a lot of women that have got um, faecal incontinence, they tend to overwash because they're worried about smelling and it can become very, very sore. So we want them to be clean, but not washing obsessively with soap and water all of the time. And you can use a barrier cream as well. Getting a diagnosis and finding out what is causing the leaking is fundamental because most of these problems can be improved with conservative treatment. For people that have got birth injuries or um, injuries from surgery or from radiation, for instance, and they're getting a bit of leaking because their sphincter is not able to close properly. There's a couple of really good bum tampons that are available and you would be able to put that in place and nobody would know it was there.
1: I guess the main message is, you know, to, to actually go to see your GP in the first place. But Do you have any advice for people who might be a bit... Nervous about what
2: to say when they get there. The good thing to know is that this is bread and butter stuff to your doctor. So you're not the first person. They will definitely have seen it all before. These problems are really common. We just don't talk about them. Of course, you're going to be embarrassed, but they won't be. Usually, we're just delighted that the person has actually come for help.
4: Mm, That's really great advice. We know there's an amazing section in your show where you ask the audience to do a clench-along and um, (laughs) practice their pelvic floor exercises so we were hoping maybe you could teach Brogan and I what we should be doing and the listeners can maybe have a go at home or on their walk or wherever they are so if you imagine you're lifting your testicles
2: to your spectacles you get a good pelvic floor contraction okay and the other one that works is imagine you've got a zip fitted going from your bum hole all the way around to the front and you're just going to zip it up that works in about a third of people. But the one that works the most efficiently is imagine you're holding in a fart. <laughs> and that, that feeling is a pelvic floor contraction. So what you'll do with your bum hole is squeeze it shut and you'll feel it lift. So that's the two things you need to feel with a good pelvic floor contraction, a squeeze and a lift. It lifts up the way. That's the action of the muscle. To make it easy, you need to do it as you breathe out. So if you take a deep breath in and then sigh out, and as you sigh out, you're going to squeeze and lift your bum hole for a count of 10 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) However, if you laugh Mm -hmm. or cough or sneeze, then your pelvic floor has to be able to kick in in a coordinated way. So it has to be able to do quick flicks as well. So for that, it it would be like, I'm going to fart and you squeeze and lift, and then, oh no, it's gone away, so you can relax again. So you would squeeze and lift and relax, squeeze and lift and relax, and do 10 of those in a a row. Squeeze and lift for a count of 10, and then 10 quick flicks in a row, and you need to do that three times a day, every day until you're dry, and then once a day, every day, until you die.
1: Thank you so much. That is so fascinating. I think I've never been taught how to do a pelvic floor exercises properly. Um before we let you go, we have one final question that we put to all of our podcast guests and that is what makes
2: you uncomfortable. I'm a bit of an odd mix because I, I'm quite hard to embarrass, but I'm not good at being given a compliment. <laughs> and, and I think it's a it's a very Scottish thing. There's a lovely phrase that your your granny would spit out at your mum if she thought you were getting too big for your boots which is um, if she was chocolate she'd puree eat herself <laughs> that's great it's cutting eh? so I'm I'm quite unable to take a, a compliment I do.
1: so poo pee and sex fine compliment no 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 <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so fascinating to talk to you. and We've learned so much. Thanks for having me on and thank you for covering
4: it. For more information on your pelvic health and poo issues, find Elaine on Twitter under at Gussie Grips and that's G-U-S-S-I-E-G-R-I-P-S. Or follow her on Instagram on at underscore Grippers.
1: If Newton's law is um, what goes up must come down, then I guess the rule that I abide by is what goes in must come out. So I started my poo journey a couple of years ago when I was trying to figure out what was wrong with my health. And one of the things was that I didn't have a healthy gut and I had digestion problems. I started experimenting with different foods to find out what worked and realized that beetroot and carrots work really well for me and really aid my digestion. Um, And I'm guaranteed to have a session on the throne, as I put it, um, if I eat those kind of foods that are high in fibre. We're now joined by Dr. Megan Rossi, who is a dietitian and nutritionist with a PhD in gut health. She's the author of the book Eat Yourself Healthy and the founder of the Gut Health Clinic in London. Today, she's joining us to talk about how having a healthy gut can help us with healthy bowel movements. So for those who don't know, can you explain what we mean by gut health?
3: Yeah, I think that's a really important one because I think a lot of people have heard of this word, but what it is exactly is not often communicated very accurately. So if we think about gut health, it actually relates to the functioning of our entire digestive tract. So essentially, that's a nine meter long tube that delivers food from entry all the way to exit. Along that nine meters lives 70% of our immune system. So obviously right now immunity is really, really important and we certainly see from all the scientific studies that good gut health and a strong immune system go hand in hand. Each and every one of us contains trillions of bacteria that live along that nine meter digestive tract. They actually do so much for us that we thought historically it was just humans doing like producing different hormones and vitamins and different things like that. Actually, a lot of that is being done by a gut bacteria. Nine meters is a whopper.
4: Very long. <laughs> <laughs> much bigger than I realized. Um, so tell us, what does promoting a healthy gut? actually have to do with your poo? How do the two things relate? Historically, I think no one wanted to really talk about their gut health because they thought it was just all
3: about poo. And obviously, that's certainly not the case now that we understand that these gut bacteria can do things like talk to our brain, talk to our heart, so impact all those other sorts of chronic conditions which are really quite prevalent. However, in terms of the actual poo that we all do, about 50% of that in dry weight is actually bacteria. So that's kind of a little bit of an insight to what's happening inside our body. And is our poo... A good indicator of our gut health. Now, unfortunately, there is no single measure of gut health at the moment because it's so very complex. But I've actually put together a 10 question assessment to give people a bit more of an idea of where their gut health sits on a scale of zero to 20. And it looks at things like are they having gut symptoms? What's their immunity like? Are they constantly getting sick? Are they on different medications? Are they super stressed? How are they sleeping? You know, checking in with our poop is one element of that, but it's certainly not the only thing that governs if we've got a healthy gut or not.
4: What are some of the most common issues you see when it comes to women and their gut health? IBS is thought to be at least twice as common in females than it is in
3: in males. One of the key uh, defining definitions of IBS is that you have tummy pain at least one day a week. And that tummy pain is related to your pooping habits in some sort of way, whether it uh, gets better when you poop or gets worse when you poop. And what we know about IBS is there's four different types of IBS. So you've got your diarrhea-predominant IBS, so they're having the really loose stools, There's another type, the constipated uh, type of IBS. We're having those really hard stools. Then you have a mixed type where people's stools actually alternate between really soft and really hard. And then you have this other group called unspecified, where actually your poop doesn't change that much, um, but you are having the other symptoms like the tummy pain. And the underlying mechanism, without getting too much into the science, really is this dysfunction between the gut and the brain. uh, And we're thinking that's the main cause of, of IBS. So what kind of
1: habits can we
3: adopt to ensure we are maintaining an optimum gut health? You don't need to take any fancy supplements or be on any fancy diets. One of the key things we see in terms of people who have got really good gut health are those people who have um, more different types of plant-based foods in their diet. So actually, it's more about what you're adding into your diet. So if we think about your plant-based food groups, there's essentially six. You have your whole grains, your nuts and your seeds, Your fruit, your veg, your beans and your pulses, and then your herbs and your spices. So, trying to get in something from each of those groups most days into your diet is really going to feed the gut bacteria. And what we see is the gut bacteria then eat the fiber. So, to keep those bacteria really happy and well fed and therefore looking after the rest of the body, we need to feed them that fiber. And then I think just a very simple tip for people who have gut symptoms is actually chewing your food well. And that's because digestion actually begins in our mouth. So if you're not chewing your food at least, you know, 15 to 30 times, actually your digestion has to work a lot harder throughout the body to get that nutrition from your gut into your blood. What are some of the common myths about gut health and bowel movements that you would like to bust? So I think one uh, would be around being on a restrictive diet. There is a lot of myths out there saying things like you should go on this fasting diets and bone broth diets and cut gluten out of your diet, all those sorts of things for gut health. And that's just not the case. And then probably another one, a lot of people just get told, oh, if you've got constipation, you're not eating enough fiber and you're not drinking enough fluid. Now, yeah, for for a small population, that might be the cause of their constipation. Other people, though, it's more comes down to the types of fibre they're having. Um, things like psyllium husk and kiwi fruit. there's actual clinical evidence for those types of fibres. So it's about really finding which strategy is going to help you. Megan, that was fascinating. Thank you so much for giving us
1: all of that information. It was so, so useful. That was Dr. Megan Rossi. For more science-backed information about your gut health and poo, find Megan on Twitter under The Gut Health Doc or on Instagram under The Gut Health Doctor.
0: When I was growing up, My mum was really, really shy about poo. Like, she didn't even admit to doing it. So it wasn't a very discussed subject. And it's only as I've got older, I think I've noticed the change in generations, really. Like, my girlfriends will talk about it. And also, my old colleagues, like, when we were in an office and there were four girls, and we just talked about it loads. But it was really good, I think, because... You know, women are kind of portrayed like, you know, we don't do it and everyone does. And we need to be more open about it because if there are problems, then we should be able to talk about it. And I think definitely my experiences have meant that I'm probably
1: more open in that way. Okay, I need to discuss with you the fact that there are nine metres of digestive tract in each of us. I'm... (laughs) 163 centimetres tall how are there nine metres inside me
4: you're basically a so weird giant digestive tract <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's all I am I'm nothing else
4: just a big old bowel <laughs>
1: <laughs> well it's good to know that we have matured in this like <laughs>
4: short
1: period now that the experts have gone we're just gonna act like children again
4: excellent yeah no that (laughs) that was a fascinating fact and genuinely like I didn't realize there was so much to learn on this but um there was just nuggets of glory everywhere that feels (laughs) oh I I didn't mean to do that um but no no there on a serious note there was a lot to take away I don't think I'm ever gonna poo the same way again Thanks to those wonderful women. Um, Now you're going to poo with
1: toilet roll under your feet.
4: While mooing, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I especially liked that tip from Elaine. That was just great. And I really enjoyed Megan talking about diet and how all of those things come in and just how your gut plays such a big part in your body and health in general. Like poo's part Mm -hmm. of it, but... it it plays such a huge part in who we are and our hormones and how we feel and everything like you know it's it's so complex you could you could just keep going and going and going on that couldn't you really
1: and I think it's important as well you know to make sure that you are listening to the right people Mm. so Dr Megan Rossi is a registered dietitian and she's done a phd in gut health like that's the and she has a great instagram account that's full of loads of information and is also very beautiful like that's the kind of person that you should be following on instagram rather than lots of people who don't really know what they're talking about Mm -hmm. i think that's a really really important thing because otherwise you know add the stigma where people aren't going to medical professionals and speaking to their doctor to getting misinformation on yeah. Instagram and it's a pretty dangerous cocktail.
4: Yeah, you're god yeah, you're completely right. I really love the way that both of them have created like a non-medical feeling platform to share this information. So obviously like you mentioned mm-hmm. Megan's Instagram and everything there, but Elaine's comedy and her show but the way she just talks about it in general I think is so uplifting. We've touched loads on today about how this does have a serious side, this topic, and mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to um take that away from anyone listening who's had really hard problems with this, but at the same time, she very cleverly uses humour to begin those conversations in mm-hmm. a very non-judgmental way. She said right at the start, the joke is always on her or on the condition it's never on other people. And that's just brilliant. I think all comedy should be more like that, to be honest.
1: Yes, I totally agree. And I had to stop myself from cracking up laughing when she was telling us some stuff, because she's just an absolute delight to, to
4: interview. Yeah, she really is brilliant. But that's it for today's episode of Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a wonderful review. We'll be back next week where we'll be discussing another taboo topic, Problem Skin. I'm Rachel Moss, and you can find me at Rachel Moss underscore. And I'm Brogan Driscoll, and you can find me at Brogan underscore Driscoll.
1: This podcast is produced by Rachel Porter. Our assistant producer is Marta van der Wolff, and our
4: sound engineer is Nag Corindo.
1: You've
4: just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Hashtag AIMYU.
0: Does your cervix hang low? Can you swing it to and fro? Can you tie it in a knot? Can you tie it in a bow? Can you fling it over your shoulder like a regimental soldier? Does your cervix hang low? Yes, yes, my cervix hangs low. It fell out in Taekwondo, I can float it like a yacht, I can poke it with my toe. Nicker friction makes it smoulder, I thought this happens when you're older. My poor cervix hangs a low. don't put up with it you know, squeeze and lift will stem the flow, hold for ten and then you stop, lift ten times and let it drop. Up three floors and then back down, keep breathing, try not to frown. Do your bloody exercises cause Gussie told you so.